Chapter 3 of The Pod Hunters by P.G. Woodhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pod Hunters by P.G. Woodhouse. An unimportant byproduct. The news, however, was not long in spreading. Robinson took care of that. On the way to school, he overtook his friend Morrison, a young gentleman who had the unique distinction of being the rowdiest fag in Ward's house, which, as any Austinian could have told you, was the rowdiest house in school. I say, Morrison, heard the latest? No, what? Chap broke into the path. Last night. Who, you? No, you ass. A regular burglar. After the sports prizes. Look here, Robinson. Try that on the kids. Just what I'm doing, said Robinson. This delicate reference to Morrison's tender years had the effect of creating a disturbance. Two schoolhouse juniors, who happened to be passing, naturally forsook all their other aims and objects and joined the battle. What's up? asked one of them, dusting himself hastily as they stopped to take breath. It was always his habit to take up any business that might attract his attention and ask for explanations afterwards. This kid, began Morrison. Kid yourself, Morrison. This lunatic, then. Robinson allowed the emendation to pass. This lunatic's got some yarn on about the path, being burgled. So it is. Tell you I saw it myself. Did it yourself, probably. How do you know, anyway? You seem so jolly certain about it. Why, there's a pane of glass cut out of the window in the first room. Shouldn't wonder, you know, said Dimsdale, one of the two schoolhouse fags, judicially. If the kid wasn't telling the truth for once in his life, those pots must be worth something. Don't you think so, Scott? Scott admitted that there might be something in the idea, and that however foreign to his usual habits, Robinson might, on this occasion, be confining himself more or less to strict fact. There you are, then, said Robinson vengefully shows what a fat lot you know what you're talking about morrison morrison's a fool said scott ever since he got off the bottom bench in form there's been no holding him all the same said morrison feeling that matters were going against him i shan't believe it till i see it what'll you bet said robinson i never bet replied morrison with scorn you daren't you know you'd lose all right then I bet a penny I'm right. He drew a deep breath, as who should say. It's a lot of money, but it's worth risking. You'll lose that penny, old chap, said Robinson. That's to say, he added thoughtfully, if you ever pay up. You've got us as witnesses, said Dimsdale. We'll see that he shells out. Scott, remember your witness. Righto, said Scott. At this moment, the clock struck nine, and as each of the principals in this financial transaction and both the witnesses, were expected to be in their places to answer their names at 8.58. They were late, and, as they had all been late the day before, and the day before that, they were presented with two hundred lines apiece, which shows more than ever how wrong it is to bet. The news continuing to circulate, by the end of morning school, it was generally known that a gang of desperadoes, numbering at least a hundred, had taken the pavilion down, 
brick by brick, till only the foundations were left standing, and had gone off with every jot and title of the unfortunately placed sports prizes. At the quarter to eleven interval, the school had gone in mass to see what it could see, and had stared at the window with much the same interest as they were wont to use in inspecting the first eleven pitch on the morning of a match, a curious custom, by the way, but one very generally observed. Then the official news of the extent of the robbery was spread abroad. It appeared that the burglar had by no means done the profession credit, for out of a vast collection of prizes, ranging from the vast and silver mild challenge cup to the pair of five gloves with which the under-twelve disciple of Deerfoot was to be rewarded, he had only selected three. Two of these were worth having, being the challenge cup for the quarter and the non-challenge cup for the hundred yards, both silver, but the third was a valueless flask, and the general voice of the school was loud in condemning the business abilities of one who could select his swag in so haphazard a manner it was felt to detract from the merit of the performance. The knowing ones, however, gave it as their opinion that the man must have been frightened by something, and so was unable to give the matter his best attention, and do himself justice as a connoisseur. We had a burglary at my place once, began Reed of Philpott's house. The man, that rotter Reed, said Barrett's, also of Philpott's, has been telling us that burglary chestnut of his all the morning. I wish you chaps wouldn't encourage him. Why, what was it? First I've heard of it, at any rate. Dallas and Vaughn of Ward's added themselves to the group. Out with it, Reed, said Vaughn. It's only a beastly remnant of Reed's childhood, said Barrett. Burglar got into the wine cellar and collared all the coals. He didn't. He was in the hall, and my potter got his revolver while well, you hid under the bed and potted him over the banisters. The last time but three you told the story, your potter fired through the keyhole of the dining room. You idiot! That was afterwards. Oh, well, what does it matter? Tell us something fresh. It's in my opinion, said Dallas, that Ward did it a man of the vilest antecedents. He's capable of anything, from burglary to attempted poisoning. You should see what we get to eat in Ward's house, said Vaughn. Ward's the worst type of beak. He simply lives for the sake of booking chaps. If he books a chap out of bounds, it keeps him happy for a week. A man like that's bound to be a criminal of sorts in his spare time. It's action and reaction, said Vaughn. Mr. Ward, happening to pass at this moment, the speaker went on to ask Dallas audibly if life was worth living, and Dallas replied that under certain conditions, and in some houses, it was not. Dallas and Vaughn did not like Mr. Ward. Mr. Ward was not the sort of man who inspires affection. He had an unpleasant habit of jarring, as it was called. That is to say, his conversation was shaped to one single end that of trying to make the person whom he talked feel uncomfortable many of his jars had become part of school history there was a legend that on one occasion he had invited his prefects to supper and regaled them with sausages there was still one prefect unhelped to him he addressed himself a sausage jones if you please sir no you won't then because i'm gonna have half myself this story may or may not be true. Suffice it to say that Mr. Ward was not popular. 
The discussion was interrupted by the sound of the bell ringing for second lesson. The problem was left unsolved. It was evident that the burglar had been interrupted. But how or why, nobody knew. The suggestion that he had heard Master R. Robinson training for his quarter-mile, and had thought it was an earthquake, found much favor with the junior portion of the assembly. Simpson, on whom Robinson had been given to start in the race, expressed an opinion that he, Robinson, ran like a cow, at which Robinson smiled darkly, and advised the others to wait till sports day, and then he'd see, remarking that, meanwhile, if he gave him any of his cheek, he might not be well enough to run at all. This sort of thing, said Barrett to Reed, as they walked to their form room, always makes me feel beastly. Once start a row like this, and all the beaks turn into regular detectives, and go ferreting about all over the place, and it's ten to one. They knock up against something one doesn't want them to know about. Reed was feeling hurt. He had objected to the way in which Barrett had spoiled the story, that might easily have been true, and really was true in parts. His dignity was offended. He said yes to Barrett's observation in a tone of reserved hauteur. Barrett did not notice. It's an awful nuisance. For one thing, it makes them so jolly strict about bounds. Yes. I wanted to go for a bike ride this afternoon. There's nothing on at the school. Why don't you? What's the good if you can't break bounds? A ride of about a quarter mile's no good. There's a ripping place about ten miles down the Stapleton Road. Big wood, with a ripping little hollow in the middle, all ferns and moss. I was thinking of taking a book out there for the afternoon. Only there's roll call. He paused. Ordinarily, this would have been the cue for Reed to say, Oh, I'll answer your name at roll call. But Reed said nothing. Barrett looked surprised and disappointed. I say, Reed, he said. Well... Would you like to answer my name at roll call? It was the first time he had ever had occasion to make the request. No, said Reed. Barrett could hardly believe his ears. Did he sleep? Did he dream? Or were visions about? What? he said. No answer. Do you mean to say you won't? Of course I won't. Why the deuce should I do your beastly dirty work for you? Barrett did not know what to make of this. Curiosity urged him to ask for explanations. Dignity threw cold water on such a scheme. In the end, Dignity had the best of it. Oh, very well, he said, and they went on in silence. In all the three years of their acquaintance, they had never before happened upon such a crisis. The silence lasted until they reached the form room. Then, Barrett determined, in the interests of the common good, he and Reed shared study. An icy coolness in a small study is unpleasant to chain up dignity for the moment and give curiosity a trial. What's up with you today? he asked. He could have hardly have chosen a worse formula. The question has on most people precisely the same effect as that which the query, do you know where you lost it, has on one who is engaged in looking for mislaid property. Nothing, said Reed. Probably at the same moment, hundreds of other people were making the same reply in the same tone of voice to the same question. Oh, said Barrett. There was another silence. You might as well answer my name this afternoon, Barrett said tentatively. Reed walked off without replying, and Barrett went to his place, feeling that curiosity 
was a fraud, and resolving to confine his attentions for the future to dignity. This was byproduct number one of the pavilion burglary. End of an unimportant byproduct.